Jonathan Taylor. A um, shocker this morning, that's where we're at, Exodus uh, chapter 33. We did make it out of Exodus chapter 32, though, even though it took three weeks to get out of it. Was that Ricky Law? Okay, it wasn't Ricky Law clapping that we got out of Exodus chapter 32. Well, he'll be clapping in three more weeks when we get out of Exodus chapter 33. But uh, no, not quite as long. Two weeks, though. Yeah, two weeks. Hey, um, let, let me say this even before we open up the scripture, just to be an encouragement to you guys. Because uh, I don't know where everyone's at, man. People go through some difficulties in their life. There's things that, you know, are pressing in on people. And everyone uh, is in the midst of their, of their own adventure in life, right? You know, kind of blindsided by events and circumstances that you don't necessarily can control. And you're just there and you're trying to navigate uh, uh, the, the issues and dilemmas of life and honor God in the navigation of that. And so I just want to encourage you because along this uh, journey, I'm, I'm, let me go ahead and, and burst your bubble. You're going to have some highs and you're going to have some lows. Right? I mean, it's going to happen. There's going to be seasons of victory, and there's going to be seasons of defeat. This is just a reality. I've spoken to enough of you on enough occasions uh, that you know and I know that you have been at the high places, and you and I both know that you have been at the low places. And if you have spoken with me for any amount of time, you know that's my experience as well. This isn't uh, something that any of us are exempt from. All of us experience these things. And there's times in our lives, and this scripture is a, is, a, is a beautiful transition for us to understand that when we come out of catastrophic loss or catastrophic failure, what do we do next? Where do you go when, thing, when you're coming off the backside or the, uh, the, the low side of a defeat? or a failure, or whatever it might be, in whatever area of your life it is. Let me give you these encouraging words. You start by engaging God. That's the next step. When you're in a place of failure in your life, a place of crisis, at the low point, the next step for you, the next step for me to come out of that is to engage with God to find counsel with God, to listen to what God is saying. The beautiful thing about it is that God has a tendency because of his character and his love for us to always show up when we're at that place, you know, when we're at that low spot. And he does the very thing right here in Exodus chapter 33. In chapter 32, we know the deal, right? Moses has gone a while, the, the children get restless, uh, Aaron concedes, compromises. The golden calf or the golden bull is forged out of fire. There's idol worship that takes place. Moses then descends. There's uh, extreme discipline, extreme discipline. Over 3,000 men who had led the heart of Israel astray end up losing their lives. And at the end of chapter 33, even though Moses comes to God and Moses says to God, this is what he says to him, 
He he basically says, forgive their sins, but if you don't forgive their sins, go ahead and blot me out with them as well. Remember that? We read that last week, right? And then we saw the beauty of a, a beautiful principle of prayer that you and I both need to adopt and understand, and it's the principle of when God says no, right? Because Moses said, forgive their sins, and God said, no, there's a price to be paid for the disobedience. Right? And the price to be paid is what then uh, uh, explains or at least identifies the value of the commandments. For example, if they could have violated the first two commandments that God had given them without any fallout whatsoever, what it would do is undermine the, 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 the value of those commandments and the significance of those commandments. The reason we have uh, labels on bottles with skulls and crossbones saying poison is because we know that if you drink that, that there's going to be some dire repercussions. Right? If we had a labeled a, 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 a product that was, that was poisonous or so we thought, and we labeled it with crossbones and a skull and someone consumed it and there was no effect, what then would take place on the next bottle that was marked as a, a poison as well? There would be the need, then what? Or at least, not the need, but at least the, the uh, 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 maybe dismissing of the, the nature of the content of that item, right? And so there has to be some level of discipline expressed to measure the value of the commands. Don't do this. Don't do this. This is the repercussion. And so there was this extreme discipline. And at the end of the scripture, God says that I will then administer my discipline on the children, on on my people, when the time is appropriate. And the scripture goes on and says, and God did this, right? You can go read it in chapter 32, last verse. You can check it out. Well, now we're transitioning to chapter 33. And we're on the backside of this. And this is where the scripture begins. We're going to pray. Then we're going to navigate through these verses, okay? We're not going to go all the way through uh, uh, 33. We're not going to get to the portion of Scripture that you and I are familiar with where God, where Moses says to God, show me your glory, right? That's where everybody's wanting to go. Man, get to that part, Trent. That's exciting. That's really encouraging. Well, we're not going to get there. Come back next week. We'll get there, right? So what we're going to do, we're going to pray, and then we're going to start to work into this. And we're going to watch this transition. Now, some of it is difficult. But it's part of it because when we make poor decisions, there's the residue of the decisions that seem to just kind of settle on our lives. You know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about? It's like the other day I was over at uh, uh, Kevin uh, Capels and and, uh, 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 Marissa's, and I've got this uh, power painter this uh, uh, great old power painter that I had borrowed from Ricky. And, 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 and I'm spraying this fence, man, and I mean, it's beautiful. I mean, I'm straight up Picasso. I mean, I, I, I mean beautiful paint job. Credited more to the equipment than the one using the equipment. But I'm spraying it, and it's looking really good, right? I'm about to do a selfie and post it on how I serve others, you know. You know how we do it in the modern church. Look at, and I'll, and I'll even make it look like somebody else has taken the photo. You know, look at, look at godly Trent out there serving this, the flock, 
you know, blessed be the Lord, you know. That whole thing, right? Well, I'm over there, and I'm spraying this one, and the wind is blowing. And, and then all of a sudden, when I get done, I never thought I was in the line of fire of the paint. Then I get done, and my shoes are ruined. My pants are covered. My skin is kind of just flaked with paint all over me. And it's the residue from the decisions of spraying that paint downwind, Jack. Right? Right? And so it is in our relationship with God. When we look at God and we choose to live downwind of God, right? And we make decisions. All of a sudden, though God forgives us, restores us, does, does his beautiful, majestic, merciful work in our lives, we still leave that place with residue on us. And that's what's happening here. There's some residue still remaining. So, Father, in Jesus' name, we're going to navigate this scripture to bring you glory. We do not want to be in error. We do not want to mar your word. We do not want to confuse anyone. Lord, what we want to do is bring a level of clarity, Lord, uh, to our own hearts and our own minds uh, through your, your word and through the power of your spirit. We pray, Father, for that very thing this morning, that through the speech of a, of a mere foolish man, Lord, through a demonstration of the power of your spirit, you can speak to each individual heart in here, regardless of where they're at in their stage of life. So we bless you, and we thank you, honor your word, oh God, this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray and ask these things. Amen. Amen. All right, Exodus chapter 33. Pull that up, Clark. Let's take a look at this. Remember, they just came off some big-time discipline, disobedience, that whole scene, right? So let's check this out. Let's check this out. Then the Lord said to Moses, bingo, right? Bingo, right? That's where you want to start, right? Engagement with God. I need to hear from God. Even if God in his graciousness is the one to initiate it, right? Then the Lord said to Moses, leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt, and go up to the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. Now, I love this because God is basically saying right here, the discipline's been applied, though there's residue still in place here. My plan hadn't changed. Get back up, get back into the race, and let's get this thing going, right? So wherever you're at, Whatever your failure is, whatever your dilemma may be, let me encourage you in response to the beckoning call of God, get back on your feet. Get back on your feet and get back into the purpose and the plan of God in your life. Right? You with me? Regardless, regardless of where you've been, Regardless of the amount of residue that remains on your life, get back on your feet and move forward with him. And this is what he says. He says, <clears throat> leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt, and go up to the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Right? Right? Now, one of the, one of the first things we see right there is God's still a promise keeper, ain't he? He's the prop, man, this thing's still in play. 
God's not revoking his plan because of your failure. Right? God still has a purpose. And he says this, and I will give it to your descendants. I will send an angel before you, right? I will send that. God's protection is still being provided, right? You see that. And then he says, and drive out the Canaanites. Now, I want you to understand what he's saying right here in this portion of the scripture. There's basically a statement that's being made twice. Some renderings will actually, some translations will actually render it like this. And this is how it will be rendered typically, okay? It says this, I will send an angel before you and I will drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, right? You see all that? God is still promoting his purpose amongst his people, though they're covered with residue, right? And he says this, go up to the land flowing with milk and honey. I mean, my goodness, God's provision. I mean, his protection, his purpose, his plan, and his provision is still intact. Now, he could have said, man, we're going to change every bit of this, and I'm going to send you into a desolate land where you're going to have to scrape for everything you can possibly manage to scrape for. Sometimes we view God like that, don't we? That, oh, man, we have failed God, and everyone in this sanctuary, I care not where you've come from, I care not what your status is, everyone in this sanctuary has failed God. If you say in your heart and in your mind, that isn't applicable to me, then you identify yourself as one who is foolish. That's just a reality. You can sell those bill, uh, that bill of goods to whoever else you want to sell it to. You can't sell it to me. I'm not buying that. And if we have a biblical understanding of who we are as God's creation, we understand this. Does this mean, Trent, you're saying we should go out and just live reckless? Of course not. Of course not. We promote holiness. We believe in holiness. We believe in God's holiness lived out through unholy people. This is what he says. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey... But then he says this, but I will not go with you because you are a stiff-necked people and I might destroy you on the way. Now, I want you guys to understand something. I want you to understand it because many of us, many of us kind of have this tendency to look at the world and we look at people who are God-haters. We look at people who are resistant to God and and the, 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 the gospel and we watch them uh, prosper and, and we watch good things be being poured into their lives and we're like my goodness man I'm following God and, and I'm, I'm having these difficulties and then these other people who are enemies of the gospel opposed to the gospel it seems as though there's so many good things still happening in their lives I don't really understand you know what the scripture says the scripture actually addresses that in Romans chapter 2 verse 4 or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness his forbearance and his patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. Do you not realize that? That even when God begins to shower disobedient people, rebellious people, with his forbearance and his love and his generosity, the intentions of God isn't to shower and and reward their disobedience. It is ultimately intended for their eyes to be opened 
recognizing the goodness of God and that recognition of the goodness of God then spur their hearts on to repentance, you know, a change of mind, right, in direction, right? I'm telling you, in my own life, that is the thing that was a catalyst for me was the goodness of God. It was so undeserved. Let's, let's read on. Now remember what we just read, that last verse, right? But I will not go with you because you are a stiff-necked people and I might destroy you on the way. Whew. That's some of that residue, isn't it? That's some of the residue. I love some translations that will render that. I won't go amongst you. Or, or the, the notion or the idea, I can't get too close to you because of this residue, because of this condition, because of who you are. Your stiff-neckedness, your unwillingness to bend in the direction that I'm trying to turn you. And this is what the scripture says. Check this out. When the people heard these distressing words, they began to mourn and not put on any ornaments. Now, we're going to have to work through this because this is kind of being shaded a certain way that the scripture actually brings a level of clarity to as we follow through this verse. When the people heard these distressing words, what, what words? What words were so distressing? What words were so distressing? But I will not go with you. And he says, because you're stiff-necked and I might destroy you. The implications here are, at the, are, are this, that the words of God, when he says, I will not go with you, it had a distressing impact on the hearer. It wasn't necessarily that the words were distressing. It had a distressing impact on the hearer. And the reason I know this to be true is because there's many times in our lives when the word of God is spoken to us and it is truth and it is in rebuke and it is in discipline, but it doesn't have a distressing impact on us and we carry on, right? Have you ever been to that place where God has said no, but you continue to do it because it doesn't have that same distressing impact that these words had on these people? It wasn't simply the words were distressing. The impact of the words were distressing. You with me? You tracking with that? He says this, and the scripture says this. For the Lord had said to Moses, or let me, let me go back. It said, when the people heard these distressing words, they began to mourn and, and no one put on any ornaments. Not true. For the Lord had said to Moses, now we're seeing this, tell the Israelites you are a stiff-necked people. If I were to go with you, even for a moment, I might destroy you. Now take off your ornaments and I will decide what to do with you. So the Israelites stripped off their ornaments out at Mount Horeb, which is Mount Sinai. Now which is it? Which is it? The very first portion of the scripture says what? They began to mourn and no one put on any ornaments. That's not actually what happened. As a matter of fact, with the residue on their lives, before the word of the Lord came to them, the whole distressing impact, they were literally getting jewelry back up. Like nothing had happened. And then when Moses, as the scripture says, when Moses then comes to them and tells them what the Lord says, then there's the distressing impact. Then what does the scripture say? The Israelites stripped off their ornaments at Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai. 
I mean, they were going to go on as though nothing had happened. I mean, I'm dolled up. But when the word of the Lord comes in, they strip up. Are you with me? You see this? You see? They strip off the ornaments. That's what the scripture says. Then Exodus 35, verse 5 says this. For the Lord had said to Moses, tell the Israelites, you are a stiff-necked people. If I were to go with you, even for a moment, this is verse 5, I might destroy you. Now take off your ornaments and I will decide what to do with you. Even God acknowledges in that verse, the ornaments are already on. They were, right? And so they end up stripping these off. Now that's a very important factor. Because what is being involved in that? What is taking place in the stripping of the ornaments? What's significant? How about this significance? Obedience. Obedience. Even in the small things, obedience is important. If it is the stripping off of this outward, uh, of this external appearance, you know what, in the reality, let me just say this. That's what you and I both need to do. Sometimes we need to strip off this exterior, this pretense, this image, and get really real with God. And just let it lay on the, just take off what we deem to be valuable and just, just separate ourselves from it and find ourselves in a place that is, is contrite, mournful, humility, and obedience. They go hand in the mourning and the obedience. Running hand in hand, right? That's what the scripture says. Now we're about to make a jump right here. Because when you're reading, when you're reading this right here, verse 6 that we just read actually doesn't roll into verse 7. We're going to have a commentary in verse 7. It actually jumps to verse 12, this conversation. What happens in between here? It's some commentary on the relationship between God and Moses that then gives context to the conversation that takes place after verse 12. You and I are going to read this because we're going to need to understand the relational makeup between Moses and God so that we'll understand Moses' response to God when we get to verse 12. You with me? We're going to read through this. And this is what the scripture says. This is verse 7. And you'll understand how it breaks. Now, Moses used to take a tent. <laughs> like, hold on, what, what? we're in the middle of a conversation. God, then all of a sudden we get this commentary, right? Now, Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Okay, here, here application. Just short, brief, we'll move on. Now, Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Why did he call it the tent of meeting? That's where he met God. Right? Let me say this to you, my brothers and my sisters. At some point in your day, at some point in your week, some point in your life, at some juncture, Miss Kathy, at some juncture, we've got to find a place and a time to separate from the distractions of this world. There are times that we have to find a time and a place to separate from the functions of church as we know it right and get alone with God because if we're not separating and getting alone with God then the function that is taking place within the church isn't going to be healthy are you are you see you see this 
He literally, this is, this is how he used to do it. This is what the scripture says. He had to separate from the body to gather with God so that he can do what? Lead the body, right? You and I must find time in our lives to separate, to get outside of this realm of distraction, to engage God in our own tent of meeting so that in that experience, you and I are empowered and strengthened. What? So then we can lead, then we can serve, then we can be present. Churches who are led, Bodies who are led, who are served by people who don't find that alone time are churches who are on the verge of self-destruction. When you get churches and bodies and gatherings of believers who aren't finding time to be alone with God, man, you are then creating an environment that is being led by people. You know this. You know this. You know this, right? This isn't an epiphany. You know this to be true. We've seen this. I've been this. I've been this. Exhausted, fatigued, running and running and running and trying to do everything that you can possibly do in the church to make sure that it's functioning at 100% and all of a sudden you realize one day when you're at the end of yourself and someone says something to you and you snap back in the flesh. And sometimes their eyes, eyes, eyes are just piercing and it's, it feels like God is looking right at you. And you feel completely exposed, not as a hypocrite, but you feel completely exposed as one who has not separated themselves enough. And they know it, and you know it. There's times when my wife will engage me, and I'm certain, I'm certain that she would say, oh, you've not been outside of the camp, have you, Trent? And I'd say, get behind me, Satan. No, no, I'm just kidding. No. I'm saying, oh, you're right. I'm like, you're right. To my own channel, oh, you're right. And then there's been times that I would say of her, oh, Carrie, if I've been outside the cab, baby. And she would say, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> she'd, she'd say, I haven't. I've been too busy. With the church, I've been too busy. With service, I've been too busy. And giving and giving and giving. and Oh, how I miss him. <laughs> right? We've been there. We've been there. Calling to the tent of meeting, anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. Listen to this. And whenever Moses went out to the tent... All the people rose and stood at the entrance to their tents watching Moses until he entered the tent. Wow. Yeah. Although, I'm sorry. I meant to read through this scripture. It just speaks to me when I read it. You know what I'm talking about? And I just want to ask the question because it's a question in my own heart. Do people watch you with the anticipation of knowing you've been out there with a master watching? I mean, they want to see, man. They may not even understand how it happens. They're watching you. They need to know. How do I get that? 
I don't know, I and, and so the people would stand outside of their tents and they would watch Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance. <laughs> oh my goodness. Stand, and, and whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshipped. Each at the entrance to their tent. Now listen to this, listen to this. This is the context for the conversation that's happening. Get this, get this. The Lord, L-O-R-D, capitalized Yahweh. We just sang about him, Jehovah. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Now did you get that? Did you, re did you read and hear that? I'm going to tell you what it doesn't say. And Moses spoke to God like a friend. That's not, what it, that's not what it says. Did I misread that? Am I the only one that caught that? Am I the only one who caught that? Well, the scripture says, and God spoke to Moses. That's what it says. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one who speaks to a friend. Moses wasn't the one who established this friendship dynamic between him and God. It was God who spoke to him as a friend. It was God who engaged him. It was God who had allowed these words to narrate between him and Moses this friendship bond by which God would address him directly, not face to face in the sense that you and I see, but in a sense of being direct and open with Moses. As a matter of fact, we know it wasn't face to face in a literal sense because the scripture later says, God says, if any man sees my face, he will surely die. Right? That's what the scripture says and it's in here in Exodus chapter 33. So we have to understand then, what does this mean? It means directly he would speak to him as a friend would speak to a friend. And how do friends speak? I tell you, I speak, when I speak to my friends, I speak in love. When I speak to Harold Erickson, I speak to him in love. Look at Harold back here. He's oh, you want to grin, Harold. Go ahead and grin, brother. You see through the transparency. I've had men come up to me who I count as a friend. These are strong men, good men. With their hearts broken, just start to weep. They know I count them as a friend and the transparency, the pretense is abolished. And God approaches Moses in such a way and speaks to him directly. There's no pretense. And you know what Jesus says in John chapter 15? Pull that up, Clark. Jesus says, you know, we are that kind of friend too. You know that, right? You, you know what the scripture says right here, don't you? This is Jesus speaking. And Jesus says this, greater love has no one than this. What? To lay down one's life for one's... Do you think the apostles, the disciples, the early church were chasing after Jesus to make Jesus their friend? Or do you, who was the one doing the calling? The friend maker. He was the friend initiator. The instigator. 
And Jesus says, no greater love is there than for a man to lay his life down for his friends. And that's what I do. I'm the one. I'm the establisher of this relationship. And so with that being said, then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Okay, now let's, let's finish this. And Moses said to the Lord, okay, now we got context. We understand this dynamic. God has allowed Moses in. God, the initiator, the instigator, the creator, the speaker. The speaker. Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me, meaning what? Moses has listened. <laughs> Lead these people. Am I hearing this right? Lord, I... And I love the reasoning with Moses. Moses is, is somewhat pragmatic. He's a reasonable person. He's been engaged by God like a friend. And so Moses, in a pragmatic manner, how many people here are pragmatic? You, 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 you consider yourself a reasonable, logical individual, you know, common sense. No, oh, man, come on, brother. My goodness. We'll have one person praying this morning. Listen, listen. And, and Moses, and this, he's, he's been relatively pregnant. He's just reasoning himself through this with God. And he says to God, right here, check it out. He says to God, you have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Now, I want you to understand the level of humility in this inquiring of God. You remember earlier when I said to you that God spoke to Moses as a friend? We have to be really careful. It doesn't mean that we can't approach God with great confidence. I think the scripture teaches us to do that. But man, when we start handling God like he's just another friend, or we start approaching God having lost uh, the, 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 the sense of his glory, you know what I'm talking about? I mean, when we approach God, we need, I don't care about any type of relational dynamic you've created in your life that you would like to use as an analogy between you, yourself and God based on that. I'm telling you, in our approach of God, though he approaches us as a friend, our engagement of, 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 of him should be very reverent, understanding who he is. Ask Job about that conversation. Right? Okay. He says, he, he says you have not let me know who you will send with me now do you, we remember when God first called Moses now we jump back way back here in Exodus man Moses was rattling off excuse after excuse wasn't he remember this you remember this uh, remember he, he was not good enough Exodus 3 11 he says who am I that I should go to Pharaoh he didn't have the answers remember that? He, he said in Exodus 3 13 he says what if they ask me who sent me what am I to say I don't have the answers for this and then Moses in Exodus 4.1 had another excuse. And he said this, people won't believe me. That's exactly what he says. But suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say the Lord has not appeared to you. That was another excuse. And then he says this, and most of us can identify with this. I certainly can identify with this. I'm a terrible orator. I'm a terrible speaker. Exodus 4.10, Moses says this to the Lord. Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither before nor since. You have spoken to your servant. He says, Lord, before you spoke to me, I couldn't talk. After you spoke to me, I still can't talk. He had another excuse, right? 
And it's reasonable. And then the last excuse basically is, I'm just not qualified, Carl. Well, who is? Who is qualified to carry out the mission of God? None of us. Oh, uh, I got, I got my, my Nazarene sister here with me this morning. And so let, let me say this, and I'm sure she's heard this many times, God doesn't call the qualified, right? God qualifies the called, right? Okay, okay. So Moses finding out at this moment, at this moment, uh, understanding that God's not going to go with him, all of a sudden, this cat's ready to check out. You can see this. You can feel it. Not that that's in his heart. It is the uncertainty of what's going to happen going forward because Moses, every argument he had made, every argument that he had made regarding leading Israel out of Egypt was offset by God saying to him, but I will be with you. That was the convincing fabric in this relationship that Moses said, though I have many excuses, Miss Kathy, though I have many excuses, if God be with me, then so I can do this. And now God said, I won't be with you. So you can see Moses said, no, that wasn't an agreement. You know, this is, the, the prenuptial reads like this. We had, you have said I know you by name and you have found favor with me. Listen, listen to what he says. His response to God predicated on what God had said. Listen, you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name and you have found favor with me. I love that Moses, his approach to God with humility is predicated on what God has already declared. He says to him, he says, Lord, you speak to me like a friend, and you have said, I know you by name. And Moses, you have found favor with me. Right? You see this? Moses' inquiry isn't a rebellious inquiry to God. It's a man seeking some understanding. It's a man seeking some direction. It's a man who's just inquiring of God, not with a rebellious spirit. If you're not going with me, Lord, who is? And I love what James says in chapter 1, verse 5. If any of you like wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Moses in this moment is saying, I don't understand the rebellion, the residue. I don't understand how this thing's moving forward and that's how you and I are when we come out of these seasons we just don't see how this thing's going to move forward because we've ruined it man we spoiled it right right and he says speaking to the Lord this is Moses you, you have said you are pleased with me you, you have found I found favor with you. you know me by name and he says if you are pleased with me Teach me your ways so I may know you. He says, if you are pleased, have you, do, you ever con, do you ever consider that? Do you ever ask yourself, is God pleased with me, right? Is God pleased, is God pleased with me? 
Is God pleased with me? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6 and 10 says this, Therefore we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and we prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please him. I need not go any further. So we make it our goal to please him. That's what Paul's saying. That's what Paul's saying to the church in Corinth. That's what I'm saying to the TDC church in E-Town. Is that your goal? Is that your goal to, to, to please him? I remember in 1981, I remember this movie coming out. I don't know how many of you uh, remember uh, uh, the, the, the Siskel and Ebert. You remember that? Remember At the Movies? How many people here remember the, the movie review show At the Movies? It used to come on PBS, KET. The one channel we could get without stealing cable, right? And so we would watch At the Movies. And it wasn't like we were going to get to go to the movies, but we could see that part of the movie and then live when we got to school that we went and seen it, right? And I remember every time at the movies would come on, I was hoping it would be something that was, was enticing to me. And I remember watching it one time and they were talking about this given movie and it was 1981, Trent Evans is 11 years old and they're talking about this movie and I, I thought, man, this is a really good movie. Let, let me watch the little review, the small clips and I bet it's powerful. And they said this movie is called Chariots of Fire. I'm like, what? I, I was thinking like, you know, oh, Superman? I was thinking maybe, maybe I, don't, I don't know, uh, Clash of the Titans? I, I, I mean, I'm looking, maybe some Conan? I don't, I don't know, but I wasn't looking, I wasn't looking for a chariot of fire, man. And then they give this synopsis, right? Chariots of fire. About two runners. One, an a English runner named Harold Abrams, not Harold Erickson, Harold Abrams, who was a Jewish runner who was having conflict with his heritage. And the other was a Scottish runner by the name of Eric Little, who was what? A missionary to China. So was his sister. And in this movie, which I just detested as a young guy, when I came to faith, the movie completely changed in my eyes. And Eric Little, that used to put me to sleep when I watched it in, uh, as a young adult, once I come to faith, it just mesmerized me. It drew me in. Tony Evans referenced this last weekend. There's a beautiful scene in the movie Chariots of Fire where Eric Little's sister is trying to convince Eric Little to go back to the missions field in China. And Eric Little is, is conflicted because he's an Olympic runner and he's got one chance to run in the Olympics at this juncture in his life. And she's saying, put all that aside. Go back to the mission field. And he's conflicted. And she goes out on this, this beautiful scene, this, this, this hillside. A little's walking back to her. Eric Little's walking back to his sister Jenny. And he says to her, I have decided 
to go back to the missions in China. You see her perk up, right? She grins. That's what she's been praying for. Her brother to honor God, right? And then he says, but I must run first, right? That's what he says. Man, you, I tell you, watch it. It'll draw you in, man. I, I get drawn in. I'm, I, I'm, like a, I'm, a, I'm like an emotional water being sucked into these movie drains that just suck me down in there. I just get drawn into everything. And so, and so Eric Little said, but I, I must run. She said, oh, Eric, Eric. He said, no, no, you, you don't understand. He said, the Lord has made me fast. And when I run, I feel the pleasure of God. When I run, I feel his pleasure. And he basically says of her, to the glory of God, understand that I must run. And I say to you today, do you even know what that pleasure is like? Do you know what it is to allow God to flesh himself out through you to experience that, the very thing that you've been called to do? That is the reason I encourage you to engage in some form of service at some juncture that you might experience the channeling of God's spirit through you in service that you might know his pleasure and become addicted to the expression of God's pleasure in your life because it'll motivate you to continue to serve the Pleasure is an addictive thing, right? It is. And Moses' response to God is predicated on this, pleasure. He says, if you are pleased with me, teach me your way so I may know you. We, we, we study the scripture not so we know more scripture. We study the scripture so that we may know him, right? And continue to find favor with you. That's what I want to, uh, teach me your ways, Lord. Listen to this, teach me your ways, Lord. So I may know you, so I may continue in your favor. That, that's my desire, right? I want to know him, right? So he teaches me so that I can continue to find favor, pleasure in God, right? Let me say this to you. And we're closing right here. Then the Lord replied, my presence will go with you. <laughs> Moses, <whew. laughs> Can you see Moses? Moses backing up when God says, I, I can't go with you. And all these excuses and all of them, maybe legitimate, maybe not so much. To some element, they're legitimate. To some level, they're, they're, they're legitimate. You can see when Moses says, or God says, I, I can't go with you, or I won't go with you. You can see Moses backing up and Moses making these declarations. Moses expressing himself, pouring himself out, being transparent. He expresses himself, and God's response to Moses is, my presence will go with you. And you can see Moses at that moment, right? I'm back in. <laughs> I'm back in. 
You know why we know that that's the response of Moses? Because Moses later says to God, oh God, show me your glory. <laughs> and I said I wouldn't get there, so I'm going to stop right here. Stop right there. But that's not all God said. It's not all God said. Because you know what a friend does? One who speaks like a friend, he sees through the transparencies of it. You know what a friend does? A friend hears you. Here's the things you say. But then they hear the things you don't say. Moses didn't say anything about needing rest. Do you think he needed rest? Man, you come down off that mountain for 40 days unprepared to be up for 40 days, and you come into that mess, you watch 3,000 people get slaughtered, you watch a rebellion of a nation, you watch the weight, the heaviness of this responsibility rest upon the shoulders of a man. You think that cat didn't need rest? But he didn't articulate it. He didn't say that to God, give me rest. But God looks at him and says, my presence will go with you. Hey, Moses. Jen, I know you've been through a lot. And I'm with you, says the Lord, all right? And I'm going to give you some rest. You need some rest, don't you? Oh, yeah, you do. You all do. You all do. You all do. We all do need rest. Right? We do. Especially when we've just come out of that valley where things have just imploded on us. Some of our own doing... And we stand there in the wreckage of decision-making. And God being redemptive and restoring says, I'm with you still, Moses. I've not left you. I'll be with you. And I'm going to give you some rest. Listen, I... I say up here, sometimes Chase, you'll hear, I'll say these things. I'll say stuff like, I'll say, I don't know what everybody's going through. You hear me say it, right? All right. That's not a fishing statement. I'm not, I, this ain't a hook and bait kind of thing, you know, bait switch. I'm not, that's, that's actually a real honest statement. I don't know what some of you are going through. I don't know what all of you are going through. Let me just say that. But I do know what some of you are going through. I do. You've told me. <laughs> I can't unknow. And if I could come to you where you're sitting this morning and in my hands, Jay, give you the peace of God, I would give it to you. I see the hurting heart of a mother who's been stretched so thin. Anxiety has laid upon you to the extent that it robs you of your sleep. It robs you of your peace of mind. It robs you of any sense of tranquility in your life. I see the dad who is vexed with overwhelming responsibilities being thrown at him from every corner. I see the young marriages fighting for life to hang in there. Marriages of 10 and 15 years that are in seasons of struggle. I see potential carnage that lays 
ahead for many out of decisions that may be made. And I want to come to you. And I want to give you what God offered Moses. And that is his peace. But I can't give that to you. But he can give that to you. He can give that to you. He can give that to you. So I say to you, my young brother, my old brother, my young sister, and my not-so-young sister, I say to you, get back to your feet. Get back in the game. Get back in the purpose and the protection and the provision of God. Engage him. Pour your heart out to him. Know him. A desire to please him. Amen. His presence is with you. And his peace is available. Amen. Amen. Stand with me this morning. Amen. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. Carrie's going to come forward just for a moment. There is no manipulation here, man. We're broken people. When we open these altars, it isn't some convoluted effort for us to manipulate someone's emotions. No, you know, I'm not going to debate the, the anti-pragmatic view of this. I'm just going to tell you that there are times as brothers and sisters in Jesus that we just need to pour our hearts out. That's it. You just need a place to pour your hearts out. And you need people to cover you to pray with you. Not pray for you, but to pray with you. It doesn't mean they have to gather around you, but they can pray where they stand if you choose to gather around a place such as this to pray. So we just make it available to each man as the Spirit of God leads that person. You respond. Don't respond to me. You respond to God. Who desires to speak to you face to face as a friend. <laughs> so what we're going to do this morning, what we're going to do this morning is we're going to take the elements, okay? I'm going to relieve you of the burden and the fear of stepping out and saying, what if I step out? What's Ricky Lowell going to think of me, right? What if I step out? What's Ryan Rockford going to think if he sees me go down there and pray? What if I step out? What's Harold going to think? What's Otis going to think if Trent goes down there and prays? What's Aaron going to think if Trent goes down there? I'm going to take that off of you this morning. Because this morning we're going to come we're going to take the elements. We're going to take communion. And when we come up here to take communion, all right? We come up here to take when you take those elements, you're going to go back to your seats, and we're going to take those together. But what I say to you, my brother and my sister, is as you receive the elements this morning, Jack, you halfway up here. You halfway up here. Just pause a moment, if you will, for the benefit of your heart and your soul. And just find your spot. You can just set those elements down. Just pour your heart out. And when everyone returns their seats, we're going to take those elements and we're going to bless them. And we're going to thank God for them and what they represent. This is how we row here.
We start on the outsides, front row to the back. Once the outsides are done, front rows to the back. We all come down this middle aisle. You grab the, the elements this morning as they're being distributed. Take your time, whatever it is. Then return to your seat, encouraged in God, and we'll take these elements. I'm going to ask Brother Danny if he would come. Sister Terry. Come here, brother.